Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bloke and the Bird Show, where once again, I find myself opening the show with, so we were planning on doing a show last week. <laughs> this time it wasn't and my fault. No, actually, this time, I'm going to say it was Michael and Mario Andretti's fault. I blame, the, the blame is solely at their feet. You like that idea, don't you? I, I, I'm walking through the line as <laughs> you, you to how, how we this just works. made it. And, and <laughs> Mario Andretti's fault. Mario that, Andretti's fault that we did not record a show last weekend. You, you, you see how we can make this connection. If you use the 12 degrees of Kevin Bacon rules, yes. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. He was... Present. W- within 12 feet of us. Was that 12? Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm regretting that I didn't go over and interrupt his lunch. Everybody else did. I know. And that's kind of why I didn't because, you know, I'm a reasonable human being. But George would have taken you right over there. I know George would have taken me right over there. George took everybody else over there. I know. <laughs> so anyway, so what happened? Why we did not record, and again, fully planning on doing it, and then Monday of last week rolls around. No, not the week before. Yes. Um, rolls around. Someday <clears throat> prior to the weekend when we normally record. Exactly. And I get an email from um, our friend Gary McGinnis, um, who, as you'll recall, Robert is driving in Indy Lights this year and says, hey, we're going to be at Mid-Ohio July 4th weekend. You guys want to spend a holiday weekend down with us? And it's like, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I'd love to, no. But this weekend is Road America, and you know, now that we're in Illinois, Road America would be awesome. And Gary said, "Deal, come on up." So Saturday, um, we went to Road America and hung out with the Andretti team and RKM Racing and Robert, and we watched Robert get his. First two podiums of the season. Yeah. And just because Go on he does... some serious tears, too, to get those podiums. Oh, seriously. But, <clears throat> and to keep up with his history, Robert has never failed to be on a podium when we are present. Yeah, this means he's gotten four podiums when, it, it, since we've, we've been going to races on... on yeah, his dad told Just me I couldn't him. miss another race. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, which unfortunately, since I you know have day job, can't can't follow Robert around. Um, but yes, we got to go spend uh, all the day Saturday with RKM Racing. We got to meet Robert's younger brother George, who is also a racing driver. Although he's going a different path, he he's looking at some of the more extreme. Yeah, the the extreme racing series. Um, not just rally cross, but like there's an extreme rally cross or something that he wants to get into. It involves 150 <clears throat> foot jumps over other racing cars. Yeah. It's cr- somebody broke their back. He was telling me that, but the pictures are cool. The pictures are cool. The best part about talking to George. So George is 16. Mm-hmm. Robert just turned 21. Yes. George is 16 talking to him, standing in the pits, he pulls out his phone and starts to show me (laughs) the highlight reel of every time George passed his brother. Yes. It was 
awesome. <laughs> it, it, you know, I'm an only child and it's awesome to see like healthy sibling rivalry. And that's what that was. Oh, but definitely. it was so much fun. And the, the poking between the two of them, it was it was super cool. But but the other piece that, that goes along with that that was just as cool and just as fun to watch is post-race, there's George essentially... I mean, the, the best way to describe it is if you watch a Formula One race and watch what the physios do. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'll, I'll let me carry your helmet. Here's your water bottle. Here's, you know, the various bits and pieces that you need as you're going through, you know... It's he, right there at hand. That he, was also very cool. He did a to lot of taking too. care of Robert and supporting Robert, but nothing was cooler than we, you know, race over to the podium so that we catch Robert coming yep. off the off the track, and he gets there and he gets out of the car. He fist bumps his dad. He hugs his brother. The team owner comes over, and well, it was Michael Andretti came running over. Yeah, you know, there, it, all of those things. I mean, that was really really cool. But you. you the brotherly bond thing mm-hmm. was that was pretty awesome, um, but yeah. So we got to spend the day with them, but that involved not just wandering around the Indy Lights garages and pits, but we were on pit row for well, we sat on the pit wall to watch Roberts qualifying. Yes, we stood right behind the pit wall for one of the Indy car practice sessions that morning. And for IndyCar qualifying well, I was that afternoon. getting there. Um, so <clears throat> I happened to be standing next to Ryan Hunter Ray when he was signing some a, a some milk bottle for good somebody. Good picture of, of Ryan Hunter. I, I kind of might have shoved my phone up his nose. He's kind of tall. He is. Um, that and, was a really good picture of Ryan Hunter Ray you got. Yeah, thank you. Um, we also stood next to the porta potty when <laughs> Alex Rossi was going to the bathroom. That was fun. Well, you know, it's either Hinch or it's going to be Rossi, apparently, because that was what happened in Mid Ohio. Um, yeah, so that was fun. I, I'm quite sure that Alexander started avoiding us after that. And I personally stalked Roman Garjan the entire day. We might have seen Roman about three times. Only one time of that did we not scream out his name. Probably because security came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, ma'am. <laughs> they did not. Technically, they did not. They just gave me a stern look. No. Um, you know, we did We did stalk him. I have a picture of Magdison, but I couldn't get him without his helmet on. Like, I couldn't get close yeah. enough to now, him. Now, I got some really good pictures of Roman um, during qualifying. Yes. Um, standing and talking to his engineers and just, you know, the brief cool down between sessions. Um, and really cool picture of his helmet, too. Yeah, with a phoenix on the back of it. Yep. That was that was also very, very cool. We saw Max go to the bathroom. I mean, in we saw him go into the porta potty. Yes, that was mm-hmm. another. Yes, we did. I saw him climb a fence. I don't, that was because he was returning uh, from the porta potty. May, maybe I wasn't paying attention to his bathroom habits. I don't his, I'm sorry. Comfort break. Yeah, it was a comfort, comfort break. break. <laughs> um, so yes, so I I went down the list. We only missed Marcus Erickson for Formula One drivers, mm-hmm. former Formula One drivers. Yeah, I didn't see him at all. I didn't either, but I wasn't good at stalking him, which is really sad because you know he had his first win. Um, By the way, Will Power his helmet this year, way cool, way cool. I got a picture of Will. <clears throat> I got a picture of him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Ryan Hunter Ray 
picture was pretty awesome. I never got a picture of Roman. I just kept running into him every time I turned well, around. I, and I was then the I'd one scream who took the name. good pictures. Yeah. And then I, I'd scream his name. And Roman, to his credit, um, oh. every time we saw him, big old grin on his face, especially if someone called out his name. Big old grin on his face, big wave. Oh, yeah. You know. He didn't, he didn't <clears throat> run away. Ever. Which is, you know, impressive since I was apparently well, every stalking Every time him. we saw him, we were passing, but. Yes. But, you know, it was the big smile. He really looked like he was enjoying himself. Mm-hmm. Um, which I've heard through the grapevine that he actually is. Well, it, it also sounds like there is a potential that if Roman decides he wants to stay in IndyCar, he's going to find himself at the front of the grid pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Well, he's good. And one of the things that we've learned, I mean, we're not super IndyCar fans and followers, but one of the things that we've noticed is as Formula One drivers, because that world is so insular and they're Mm -hmm. so tight, they they come to the U.S. and get into the IndyCar circuit and the fan access grows. And some of them really fall into enjoying that. Yeah. and it's, you know, most fans are fairly respectful, and I will say that. But there's something about having that real contact with people that I don't think the Formula One insular group yeah. gets that without being, like, super rich and famous and whatnot. The, the other one that I noticed who would come out quite a bit, and actually I, I saw him on, on a couple of occasions actively engaging with fans, was Patricio Award. He was. Um, would pop out of the garage if he saw people hanging out every so often and just walk up and say, hi, how's it going, and chat with them. Now, the other cool thing was that Robert's garage mm-hmm. was directly backed up to Alex Rossi's garage yes. and all the other Andretti garages. Colton Harda mm-hmm. was back there. I mean, and that was cool. So they would be popping out there and we would be like right across sitting in the little uh, seats in the, the chairs and it's like hi <laughs> um, yeah I, I felt very special for a period of time the other thing that I thought was incredibly notable about our experience wandering around Road America other than the fact that the track is gorgeous yes ab- and it's huge and it's, it's huge you definitely need a facility. golf cart to get around but <clears throat> one of the things that I was stunningly apparent to me was the increased number of women in the garages that I saw. There were actually a lot. And I was I was really impressed by that. And obviously it's something that, you know, it resonates with me as a person, but I really noticed that. And then we were talking to Gary, there's the- uh, Force uh, U- Indy team. Force Indy team. And that's a USF 2000 team. Currently, yes. Currently, yes. And that team is entirely dedicated to offering an opportunity to non-white male drivers. Yeah, so, if I recall, it's Ray Hall that spun that team up. Is it Ray Hall? It, one of the, the drivers is really supporting bringing in diversity into racing mm-hmm. and watching the, the number of people that the diverse group of people that were following that team, but watching their logos like permeate through, Mm -hmm. that was really inspiring. And then watching the fact that there were women on the grid at every level. And, and to be clear, what we 
saw and, and, and that we had not seen in the past is that, yeah, you see a lot of women roaming around the pit lane and the paddock. Usually they're in, you know, marketing or media roles or those types of positions. We saw women who were mechanics and engineers at the IndyCar level. Right. Which we have not seen before. Yeah. We watched women throwing tires around. Mm -hmm. We watched women standing on pit walls making calls. I mean, that's the thing that I was like, wow. And, you know, they didn't have a race last year. There was limited races. So nobody was going last year. We didn't go 2019. So we're talking two years since we were last at a race. And that was a notable difference. Um, which I thought, I mean, for me, that's like super cool. Um, you know, you kind of want to like secretly high five all of the women that you <laughs> see. And then you go, oh, you gotta be cool. You know, it's like sitting 20 feet away from Mario Andretti. You go, be cool, be cool. <laughs> um, and your takeaway from Mario's hospitality tent was the fish is good. Yeah. And if, if, he's you short. Should, if you should, if you you should get the opportunity to have a meal over in the Andretti Hospitality uh, facilities. Try the fish. That, that's my recommendation. Definitely. Try the fish. Um, the cookies were also particularly good. They were. Um, now, I don't know what it meant, but one of the caterers winked at me. I think I got an extra serving. I don't know. Maybe. I'm, I'm just saying that as I was going through the line, one of the catering guys winked at me. It's probably because he recognized Manor. Possibly. Since you were wearing your Manor racing shirt. I mean, I was going for the most ironic racing shirt. <laughs> we were with a group, and one of the guys in the group had a Max hat on, thinking that he was going yeah, for... Yeah, Max the, Chilton hat. Max Chilton hat, that he was going for the most ironic. And I'm like... I'll see your irony in Eurasia. <laughs> but he, he was impressed that you recognized it. You knew exactly who that was. I was. And his future father-in-law was pretty impressed too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I was the only girl in the group. You were, and yet you schooled somebody pretty dang hard. I didn't mean to school him hard. He asked a question. I knew the answer. I responded. He didn't talk to me for the rest of the day. No, he didn't. He, he kind of avoided you. I know. Was I that scary? I kept wondering if I was that scary. No, it was probably because, you know, he, he wanted to try and throw around some great Formula One knowledge and you smacked him down. All he wanted to know was what happened to Lewis at Baku. And if it was related to something... Oh, the push-to-pass button. Oh, that that's Gary true. was talking about the push-to-pass button, which is an IndyCar thing. Yeah. There is it's no push-to-pass in Formula One. Well, the closest thing to push-to-pass is... Um, DRS. Not D- DRS. It's when you... The, the battery. Oh, yeah. The ERS system yeah, now. It used ERS. to be curse. Yeah, and releasing the battery charge. Right. But truthfully, for the like the increase in um, <clears throat> power, the equivalent is really opening up the window in DRS for the, the true increase in power. But but the big difference. So if you're not familiar with what push to pass is in Indy, and how that works, is you only get a set number of times you can use it. 
So you've got to be strategic about when you can hit that button because if you run out of push-to-pass opportunities, that you're, you're done, especially if your opponents still have it. Where DRS and ERS, you know, DRS, you can only use it in specific parts of the track. And ERS, as long as you've got a charge, you can run it. Right. So he was asking if, because Gary was explaining push-to-pass, because the rules are actually different for push-to-pass for Indy Lights versus Indy Car. Correct. And he was explaining that, and the guy asked a question about, was that what happened to Lewis at Baku, which we all know, for those of us that follow Formula One, that the issue that Lewis had was actually something called the magic button, which turns off rear brakes. Yeah, that's to help get the temperature in the front brakes and the front tires, which is really where you need it under safety car conditions. So Lewis had it on, and, and that was, I don't think we got to talk about the full investigation of what happened mm. from that event, because I think we were gone. Um, <clears throat> so that second restart in Baku, um, Lewis goes peeling off at turn one because he has no brakes. Right. Well, he had no brakes because he turned on the magic button as per protocol under the safety car, turned it off when the safety car was done, and somehow bumped the button again so that when he got to turn one, he had no rear brakes. Right. Now, to prevent this, Mercedes announced that they put a shroud over the button. So now he can't use the magic button? Well, it, it's he. It, it's a deliberate, you have to lift the shroud to press the button as opposed to brush your hand across it and cause it. Now, from what I have heard from the likes of, oh, Jolian Palmer and others, they have never heard of somebody accidentally hitting the magic button before. <laughs> Especially a highly experienced Formula One driver. I'm just suggesting that maybe he didn't turn it off. No, because Bono confirmed and Mercedes confirmed. They, they could see it turn off. I don't know. So... Anyway, so that was our fun and what prevented us and why it is Mario Andretti's fault that we did not have a show last week. And he's probably shorter than Trisha. Oh, he's definitely shorter than me. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I honestly would think that he's like almost a head shorter than me. It could be. And I'm not particularly tall. But that's, you know. Race drivers aren't supposed to be super tall people. Apparently, you're taller than Lewis. Yeah, that that we have noticed. Yeah. I mean, Lewis is only five foot six, I mm-hmm. think, according to everything. Um, which does make him still taller than me. But not by much. Nope. I mean, heels. <laughs> all right. So. So, first of all, we had an announcement this week. And, and um, as a reminder... The Singapore Grand Prix, and actually I think that was probably announced while we were gone over our three weeks. Um, But the Singapore Grand Prix has been officially canceled for this year. So we knew that things were in motion. Um, In theory, the official announcement has gone out. At this point, given what has happened, I refuse to fully believe that it's going to happen until it does. But in theory now, the Turkish Grand Prix will be replacing the Singapore Grand Prix. Okay. And we'll be going back to Turkey. Given that we tried Turkey once already and it didn't work, 
I'm hesitant to turn around and say, yep, this is a done deal. It's happening. I, I think this is going to be one of those we wait and see, and hopefully they don't go back on the red list again and the race happens. But as of right now, we're going to try again for Turkey. Okay. So the next question, and, and while it has not been officially canceled, hopefully somebody will realize that probably would be better to do this sooner rather than later. But I'm thinking the next question is Brazil. Because mm. <clears throat> I think Formula One will be able to go to Japan. If, if, if they can pull off the Olympics, Formula One will be able to go to Japan, even if they don't host fans. That makes some sense. Okay. So we're possibly still playing hokey pokey with Turkey. That would, like I said, I'm not convinced that this is going to happen since we were expecting it once already and it got taken away from us. (laughs) Well, we'll see. Everybody behave so that we don't lose Turkey again. Yeah. So there's that bit of news. The next bit of news that happened while we were gone was Esteban Ocon signed a new deal with Alpine for three years. I thought that was really awesome. You know, any time that a driver gets a three-year contract, that's kind of a big deal. Especially a driver that's never won a race and isn't a world champion. I mean, it's one yeah. thing to give Lewis a three-year contract. But, I mean, we know Leclerc got a three-year deal. Verstappen got a three-year deal. We believe that um, Lando Calrissian Norris has a three-year deal. Yeah, his de- his details aren't public, are they? Really, all they've said is it's a multi-year deal. So it is for some number of years. For as long as they... He had to, he had to sign his soul away is what he did. He, <laughs> he sold his soul to Zach Brown. You know, it's possible that Lando has a deal until Ron Dennis does a hostile takeover. That that, that (laughs) is entirely possible. Yeah. I'm telling you, Lewis retires, I'm going to be a Lando fan. I've already decided. And, And that's fair. By the way, in France, did you see the tribute that McLaren did to Mansur OJ? Yes, I did. So if you had not caught it, they replaced the McLaren name on the cars with Mansoor. Yes. It was a really cool thing that they did. Yeah. I love it when they do things like that. It gives me all the feels. (laughs) So yeah, three-year deal with Esteban Ocon. He still maintains his quote-unquote ties to Mercedes in that it sounds like Toto Wolff is still his manager. I was going to say, his ties to Mercedes, Toto's his manager. But there is still not a... My understanding is there is still not a clause that says that Mercedes can pull him back. So he is dedicated to Alpine. And I think that that's what got him the ability to have those kinds of deals. Probably. The clawback is hard. Probably. So we spoke earlier about the magic button and and the safety car period that occurred. Well, actually the full-on restart from the red flags. Um, so that was due to the tire issues that were encountered in uh, Azerbaijan. Mm-hmm. Pirelli has completed their investigation. They completed it prior to the French Grand Prix. Okay. Um, what their conclusion was from their statement, they, they uh, did an analysis, 
um, and took in tires used by other cars in the race, which had the same or higher number of laps on them compared to the ones that were damaged. The process established that there was no production or quality defect on any of the tires, nor was there any sign of fatigue or delamination. The causes of the two left rear tire failures on the Aston Martin and Red Bull cars have been clearly identified. <clears throat> In each case, this was down to a circumferential break on the inner sidewall, which can be related to the running conditions of the tire in spite of the prescribed starting parameters, such as minimum pressure and maximum blanket temperature having been followed. So basically what Pirelli said was, one, not our fault. Two, the teams aren't following the instructions again, causing the tires to blow up. Three, they're using words that don't exist. I don't know about that part, but... Or words that you can't pronounce. Possibly. Okay. So basically what they're saying is that because some teams are not maintaining the tire blankets at the at the appropriate temperature, the prescribed temperature, mm-hmm. and are changing the tire pressures at some point in the race to things that Pirelli does not agree to, that's what's causing the tires to blow up again. So. Now, as you recall, the last time we had an issue with tires spontaneously blowing up and everybody saying Pirelli fix your junk Pirelli's response was well if you put the tires on the car the way we told you to put the tires on the car you wouldn't be having this problem exactly so Pirelli's using their standard corporate line of not our fault um please follow the operating instructions RTFM man Exactly, except (laughs) once again, I might remind you that F1 teams are still fairly male-dominated, and since when have you ever seen somebody read a manual? So we do know that there are checks that are done in light of the last round of tire blowouts because the teams weren't doing what Pirelli told them to do. Um, there were pretty stringent checks on tire pressure before the start of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have seen penalties get handed out for not meeting the appropriate tire pressures um, and pissing off a lot of folks and at all kinds of levels. Well, Including me, because then we have to keep talking about tires. As a result, a technical directive went out further mandating what the teams can and can't do with the tires and further mandating additional checks and saying things like you're not supposed to deflate the tires in the middle of the race on purpose. Okay, define on purpose. As in press the button and make it go while you're driving. I just can hear the strategists at Red Bull going, you need to define a few of these terms. Yeah. I've heard that Ferrari was going to write a letter that they've heard well, some other happen. team. <laughs> if it's not Ferrari, it, at this point, it might be Mercedes. Yes. They're going to we'll write get to that in a moment. They're going to write a letter and suggest that yeah. some of the other teams are cheater, cheater, pumpkin eaters. Yeah. Now, I think, and I could be wrong here. 
that the last time Pirelli ran into this problem, where everybody said, Pirelli, fix your junk, and Pirelli said, follow the instructions, Pirelli then turned around and suddenly said, we're going to go test a new tire compound. Just all of a sudden. Do we hear that they're going to change anything as far as the tires go in an upcoming race? Well, surprisingly, (laughs) um, starting with the British Grand Prix, Pirelli has announced that they're rolling out a new construction for the rear tires. But they're not fixing their junk. Nope. (laughs) It's it's, it's not their fault, man. Um, But... Now, for those of you who are going, well, wait a minute. How can they go and make changes to the construction of the tires in the middle of the season and get all the teams to approve and make all of this happen? Well, because even though the blowouts weren't their fault, they're saying that we need to do this to prevent the blowouts because it's a safety issue. And safety issue means we can make this change. We'll make this change because it's a safety issue. But it's not their fault. But it's a safety issue. (laughs) Does anybody else see the hypocrisy here? Hmm. Is it in Formula One? So, yes. Okay. (laughs) I think we have hit what we are lovingly calling the hypocrisy window. Yeah. So, word came out after Paul Ricard, and apparently the word came out, at least to the media, after folks noticed that uh, Mick Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel were... um, having what appeared to be a fairly in-depth conversation while looking at Mick's seat in the car. Oh. Now, to be clear, for Mick and Seb to have all kinds of conversations, much like Seb considered Michael to be a mentor and someone he looked up to, Mick feels the same way about Seb. Okay. And Seb, they have a very good relationship, and it's known that Mick consults with Seb quite a bit. Well... Apparently, what this conversation was, was Mick was pointing out that um, the seat, as much as the seat is supposed to be custom fitted to him and to fit into the car and all of that, he doesn't fit particularly well into the seat and he sits kind of crooked. And he shared this with Seb? He shared this with Seb. They were discussing this. Now, Seb's recommendation was, well, break your seat. So then they have to make you a new one. Um (laughs) Which I, I think was fairly good advice. But, you know, that, that was his recommendation was, well, we'll um, break your seat. Um, so it turns out that it, it's just the way Mick is built is that he's kind of asymmetrical is how well, he describes it. And this has been an ongoing issue through all of the series. Okay, first, uh-huh. every human being on the planet is asymmetrical. If you have two of them, they do not match. No, asymmetrical is one half not the same as the other. That's asymmetrical. Correct. If you your have left two, side, your left two side. of them, <clears throat> they don't match. You have a left side and a right side, and everything that's on your left side is generally matched also on your right side, and they're not going to be the same. They're not mirror images. Yeah, well, he has the issue that they're, they're not even necessarily generally the same. So he's a little cockeyed. <laughs> okay. And as a res- and it's been a challenge as he's come up through all the series and stuff like that. Well, apparently he somehow neglected to let 
Haas know about this? And Gunther only apparently found out after he heard that there was rumblings of something going on with McSeat because of this conversation that made it into the media um, of the two that the two of them had had. And Gunther only found out the issue from Mick's mother. So Mama Schumacher calls up Gunther and goes, my boy is sitting crooked in his seat. Fix it. Possibly. <laughs> so, yeah, and Mick's still, I, I think he's still a teenager. So I, you know, I guess this means even German teenage kids still have issues with doing stuff on their own. <laughs> Just saying. Okay. Do you think that we could use this story to leverage having our own teenager talk to his mother about being able to accomplish some simple tasks? No. Because that would be the issue here. (laughs) Mom, I don't want to go talk to Gunther. He's my boss. Can you talk to him for me, please? (laughs) No, you don't want that. (laughs) Hey, while we're talking about Yes. So, um, word is that the Netflix crew was in Austria this weekend, specifically focusing on um, Nikita Mazepin. No, really? Yeah. The, the word is they're going to do a whole special show just on Nikita. No, 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 no. They're going to focus on him on one of the episodes of Drive to Survive. No, no. It's going to be a show just on him. Why in the world would they do a show just on Nikita Mazepin? It's a spinoff. All right. I can't take credit for that. That comes from David Croft's son. But still. (laughs) (laughs) I would throw something heavy at you. I would throw something (laughs) heavy at you. Did you hear that Gunther gave Nikita Mazepin a present this week? Yeah, we need to share that video on on our Facebook page. That's worth it. ESPN and Sky both. And and normally they don't carry the same videos. ESPN and Sky both carry this video. Um. So Gunther gave (coughs) Nikita a top. A little, it looks like a sterling silver or a stainless spinning top it's a stainless steel looking top and uh he was told that he should spin the top so he didn't spin his car yeah nikita asked him what it was and and gunther goes it's a maza spin Mm -hmm. (laughs) more than once yeah (laughs) all right i'm glad to see that people are having you know good senses of humor for uh the fact that Nikita likes to go, you know, dancing down the track. On on one hand, it was really kind of amusing. On the other, you got to kind of wonder if it was tinged with a little of, yeah, we're doing this. We're laughing at it. Ha ha ha. Knock it off. Yeah. Um, the only question that I have is, you know, it's been so bad that should it have been a little bit more forceful than the ha 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 knock it off and more the this is not the way you keep your seat and stay in formula one except for the fact that you know daddy's a title sponsor and he's gonna keep his seat and stay in formula because one because daddy's a title sponsor and that that is troubling now the only way he's going to <clears throat> get his 
feet underneath him the proper way is if he loses enough points that he gets a one race ban and that wouldn't so that's something that daddy can't buy him out of well yeah but that's only a one race ban and to be clear he hasn't racked up any new points recently which you know granted that's Mm -hmm. good now i will tell you that as much as mazza spins he (laughs) did not take a spin in the pit lane like Valtteri Bottas did. He did not. Um, I mean, I think Valtteri pioneered new things. Yeah. So what we hear is, is that, and the spin wasn't necessarily, you know, the plan piece of it, but Mercedes realized after Paul Ricard in particular um, that their pit stops are not as quick as they should be. Mm-hmm. And when they're dealing with undercuts, when they're dealing with these potentials that, you know, we've got to turn the car around quick if we're going to get ahead of Red Bull, they're losing time. Now, it doesn't help the fact that Red Bull has been consistently quick with their pit stops for years. Um, They actually, they stole that crown from Williams. Right. So Williams, in the year after they put the wrong tire on Valtteri's car, in Spa, I believe it was. Um, they took a very, very close look at their pit stops and, and um, turned their entire pit stop operation around within months that they were consistently setting fastest pit stops. And then Red Bull came and said, here, hold my beer. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but there was a year that I think the fastest pit stop for every race was Williams. Yes. Um, it was... It was the one thing Williams was doing well. In fact, mm-hmm. if Toto was smart, he'd pick up the phone and he'd call Claire and say, train, have your boys train well, my boys. can't anymore. Because remember, Claire's not with the team. I understand that. But as a <coughs> consultant, they had figured out something to do, whether it yeah. was like a deep training camp or whatever. So, and, and I think we had talked about this a couple of years ago because what they had done was actually really fascinating. Was... They analyzed every single piece of the pit stop and what they do all the way down to where people stand and what their jobs were and and all of those various bits and pieces and very detailed and graphically mapped out where the issues were, where the inconsistencies were, where they could do better and aimed at how to go and fix that stuff. And it was really, it was, okay, you need to move two centimeters this way and you need to shift over here and we should be prepping with this stuff in these areas and do all these things. And then it was rehearsing it until it was muscle memory. And that actually was something that when they had figured it out, they had taken that technology to, I want to say it was um, the ambulance corps in the UK in one of the towns and basically did the same kind of analysis for their paramedic squad to improve their response times. Um, Not just their response times in getting out, but in terms of actually treating the patients. Oh, wow. Of setting up the ambulances and and all of, I mean, the whole nine yards of how you do this and stage it for faster response. Now, you know, if they really want to like, you know, capitalize on this and make serious bank, they need to come to my kitchen and organize my kitchen for faster prep time. I don't see us having a, a, 
a sub four second prep time for the ultimate beef and bacon stout pie. It's not that I need under four second prep time. I just would like everything exactly where I need it and not having to hunt for everything. I just don't know where it is, which is why I keep moving it. And then I don't know where it is. So while we're talking about pit stops and getting things set up and arranged and all of that, um, rumor has it that Mercedes wrote a letter. Oh, did they? They wrote a letter questioning whether or not certain devices were in use by teams in their pit stops and whether or not this was legal. What devices? So in response to the letter, the FIA issue, well, they clarified Article 12.8.4 of the technical regulations. Oh, I haven't gotten that far. Yeah. Which states that, um, among other things, sensors must act passively in the pits. So devices which are used to fit or remove wheel fasteners may only be powered by compressed nitrogen. Compressed air or nitrogen, any sensor systems may only act passively. Um, And the FIA issued a guidance to make sure that this was done. So the concern was that some sort of active sensor was in use to shorten pit stop times, shorten response times. Okay. So basically, and they cited safety concerns. um, The, let's see. They've said that um, from the Austrian Grand Prix forward, so this week, or or, no, I'm sorry, ahead of the Austrian Grand Prix, ahead of this weekend, they said that from Budapest, team pit stop procedures must have a tolerance built in that allows for human reaction times in signaling. So the figures are 0.15 seconds from wheel nuts being observed to be tight to the jackman being told to drop the car. 0.2 0.2 seconds from the jacks going down to the driver receiving the go signal. Um, and this was done because they believe that some, out, some of the teams uh, may be using a higher degree of automation than is expected. And this is what's allowing teams to achieve record-breaking times. So this idea that if the jack determines that, or, or the 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 guy who's got the, the gun, his gun determines that the wheel is tight, that it can trigger a signal to drop the car, which can trigger a signal to make the driver go. And this is happening faster than a human making these signals happening and for them to realize that this is going on, thereby leading to the sub two second pit stops. Oh, and there is one team that is really often with the sub two second pit stops. Yeah. Hmm. So the idea is by putting these delays in and in theory slowing down a pit stop that you're more reliant on human reaction as opposed to other indicators of what's going on and potentially could be making a pit stop somewhat safer. Well, that makes good sense. I mean, this is no different than remember a few years ago, Valtteri was on the front row and the lights went out and he was just right there. It was mm-hmm. like right there. And they actually had to go back and do the like reaction time mm-hmm. between the last light going out 
and when his car moved to determine if he jumped the start if he jumped the start or not which they determined he did not but i found that conversation to be fascinating because it is talking about the the human brains like we make decisions and reactions in lightning speed Mm -hmm. but it still takes speed it still takes actual time and um and while the the teams are always working to shorten that they can't get it to zero exactly you know it, it still takes some time for the electrical signal to go from the brain to the muscle Mm-hmm. to make it happen exactly now interestingly enough the team that has been the most vocal about this possible change well not possible it is happening is red bull huh. and christian horner saying that this would actually make pit stops more dangerous why because the- it would rely on a human that wouldn't necessarily know or was sure of all of the things. Possi- yeah, my, my, my thought is that you're, you're possibly removing some kind of an indicator that they were using to trigger the release of the car. And that this is specifically worded in a way that prevents them from using whatever that indicator is. We don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. But that's the only thing that I can think of is that if you're turning around and you're saying that this is going to make the pit, the pit stops less safe, that you've got something. Yeah. That's very, very interesting. I'm wondering if it's more around the idea of um, a series of triggers or it's more of an active sensor in that once the guns all say it's tight, it's firing the next step as opposed to sending that signal to someone to interpret. And that may be. I don't know. And and that's what he's he, he kind of would not like anybody to know. Yeah. So in other news, Lewis Hamilton has confirmed that contract talks have started. Okay. He says that they are positive. I think everybody has learned their lesson that the Oh, we're just going to wait till the end of the the year and we're going to, you know, the focus right now is on winning the title. That was not helpful. Yeah. That's why you have a management team to do that stuff and not you. Yeah, but that doesn't work for Lewis. Well, because he heard Sebastian does it. Well. No, I mean, that's why he said he did it. Well, I hear Sebastian negotiates all his contracts. Well, and Sebastian is now down at Aston Martin and not in Ferraris. And Sebastian gets all his cars. Yeah. I mean, you know, Lewis doesn't do that. And Lewis didn't realize that Sebastian gets all his cars. Where in Monaco would Lewis store his cars? Um, I'm betting that he would buy a garage somewhere else. Although my understanding is he's got several cars in Monaco. He's got multiple parking spaces. I'm just thinking, like, where do you park a Formula One car? I don't know. I mean, it's not like you're going to take it out on, you know, Friday night. He keeps it at um, Fernando's Museum. Oh. (laughs) So the one thing we will talk about from Paul Ricard, although shockingly, it wasn't a bad race. Okay. It, It really was. No, except that, you know. It wasn't a great race. 
but it wasn't bad. And, and it really, the ending is, re- we had a close race. And we're having some close races. They're but, just not ending the way uh, I like them to end. Tough. Seriously. I mean, the first couple of years that we watched Formula One, we were, you know, year three and year four of Sebastian Vettel winning his titles and get to the end of the year and he was running away with his titles. So, tough. I know. This is what everybody wanted. But me. Deal with it. Anyway, so Friday. So, as we all know, Paul Ricard has all of the topographical interest of, oh, a car park. It has stripes. Yeah. Lots of them. Martin Brunel doesn't like him. He says they give him a headache. It has Repeatedly. <laughs> repeatedly told us they give him a headache. So, but one of the things that they did this year over at Paul Ricard is they put in, um, well, they're not really sausage curbs. They're a little smaller. They were calling them baguette curbs. <laughs> Yellow curbs at, I think it was turn six. And we got to hear audio of... Uh, the sporting director over at uh, Jonathan Wheatley over at Red Bull um, radioing Michael Massey and going um, yeah we need to really talk about these curbs because they just did a couple thousand pounds worth of damage to our cars this is this is not cool we got to do something about it and Michael Massey to his credit said uh, yeah no track limits you stay within the track limits you won't break the cars <laughs> You won't hit the curbs if you stay in the track limits. Exactly. And, you know, there, there were some folks who were like, well, that's not cool. You know, you got to have room to for safety and all of this stuff. And, you know, there's plenty of room for safety. Keep your car on the track. Otherwise, you are driving a track of your own design. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm good with this. I'm good with the solution in the future. And if the teams don't like it, tough. Make your driver stay on the track. If you won't, we will. There you go. I'm good with that. So, okay, that that's all I had on um, Paul Ricard because it's still Paul Ricard. Even if it was a good race, it, it, it's still Paul Ricard. Uh, the best race at Paul Ricard is still really low on the racing calendar of excitement. Yeah. But instead... Instead, let's focus on this week, which means... It's been years since I trotted that out. I didn't do it in COVID years. I could have. True. But I didn't. It's been years since I tried that out. And it's true. We are in Austria. And the hills are definitely alive with the sound of F1 cars. It is. In the second largest state... In Austria, which is why it's called the Styrian Grand Prix, and the number of people that hail from the state of Styria. Well, it's also called the Styrian Grand Prix because next weekend is the Austrian Grand Prix, which is what actually gets put on the race. And they're looking at each other, going, "Well, what are we going to do when we got two races here?" Right. So we have. I mean, they could have gone with the European Grand Prix, but no, no, went with the Styrian Grand Prix. I mean, and then we had to remind everyone. All of the people that are from that area of Austria. I mean, it's still better than the Gran Premio de Made (laughs) in Italia. 
<laughs> Amelia Romano. <laughs> yeah. It's still better than that mess. It's 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 wordy. But just in case you missed it, only because they only mentioned it nine separate times in the broadcast, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> Dr. Helmut Marco. Well, they always mention it, Helmut Marco, every year. And who was the other one? Why did I forget the other one? There's another one. Well, that's uh, fairly disappointing that you don't remember that. You know, you if don't you're going to because I wasn't paying attention, I didn't hear that they even mentioned Arnold Schwarzenegger, to tell you the truth. So, <laughs> I kind of tuned that part out, totally. It's another, <laughs> it's another Austrian that's on the grid currently, and it's not Toto Wolf. And no, he's not from that part of Austria. Mm-mm. And I'm I'm losing I'm losing it. So Gun, is it Gunther? No. No. No, I don't believe so. Okay. So anyway, what we were hoping was going to be the true bright spot of the weekend. George Russell and Williams. I mean killer performance the car was running well only to have a hydraulic issue i know i mean that boy if he didn't have bad luck he'd have no luck at all well you know i'm thinking that if you're george russell you know this is what he had to be thinking oh for sake (laughs) poor guy i mean granted that was lewis but still i mean you think about it. His once again, his best opportunity for an amazing performance gets taken away from him from something that he had nothing to do with. Yeah, through no fault of his own, it didn't convert for him. He started tenth on the grid. He was running in eighth. He made up to seventh, and he probably could have. Finished in seventh because he was lapping faster than Fernando. He was solidly faster than Fernando. I mean, absolutely awesome. Now, did you notice, George, in the pre-race interview, walking? Because I have a feeling that I know what George's problem is. That he's tall? No. Um, He looks like a Ken doll. (laughs) <laughs> uh, no i think his but he pro- does i think his problem is that he is following the david cothard school of pants i was not looking that closely at his pants his pants were cothard tight i'm thinking that is more the english f1 driver possibly aesthetic but I'm just suggesting... Because Jensen if, does it too. If he wants better results on the grid, he should probably look and make sure his pants are looser because I think Lewis's pants are not that tight. So I, I, I <laughs> as much as Lewis fancies himself as a fashion designer and has had the Ralph Lauren fashion show, I question... I think it's Tommy Hilfinger. Oh, maybe it is Tommy Hilfinger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tommy Hilfinger. Um, I, I question Lewis's fashion sense. 
because the footage of him showing up at the track today, <laughs> he was wearing a track suit. It looked like an it was actual silk. 1970s track suit. It looked like it was silk. Dude, if you're supposed if you're trying to be a fashion icon, what are you wearing a 1970s track suit for? Were you wearing high karate too? Maybe. <laughs> It was ironic. It, the, it was what? It hipster. was that bad? It, everything old is oh, new man. again. Everything old is new again. It was comfy. I bet those pants were not as tight <laughs> as George Russell. I mean, the only thing that was missing from that picture as Lewis came in was the the heavy braided chains and the chest hair sticking out. Well, yes. It wasn't velour, though. No, it wasn't velour. It was probably some kind of parachute nylon material. But still, it was a tracksuit. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's all stuff coming back in style. It was a tracksuit. It's what you're getting for Christmas this year. Would you get over it? Oh. Anyway. So, you know, I, I got to say at this point. As much as, yes, I know there's a ton of time left in the season. Mm-hmm. And things could certainly change. But I will say that I do not believe that Mercedes' title prospects and Lewis's title prospects this year are looking healthy. And this makes me sad. I'm, I'm not going to call it and say that Red Bull has won. I, I don't think that that is right. And I don't think that that's appropriate. But I do think that the odds are not in their favor at this point. In a lot of ways, where we are seeing Mercedes this year is where we have seen Red Bull and Ferrari in previous years of just not close enough. Mm-hmm. And looking at them going, I don't know where they got this this, this speed from. Yeah, I... I... I'm mightily confused, and uh, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. I'm ever hopeful that since we haven't made it to the midpoint of the season yet, and there have been years that Lewis has been mightily behind by the midpoint of the season, and yet he's pulled it off at the end. So I'm hoping that you know. Yeah, I, so, something is going to have to turn somewhere. But my concern is Mercedes is not developing this car anymore. There, there's that issue. Mercedes has stopped development on the car. They're focusing on next year's car. And to some extent, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I, at some point, you've got to focus on next year. The concern I have is if they don't fully understand why Red Bull has been successful with this car this year, even with the rule changes, are they going to understand the concept well enough next year? Yeah. And I don't know. I'm with you. I have the questions too. So we'll see where that goes. But, you know, it, it also it has me wondering at this point that if you are Honda, that you're not stepping back and looking at each other going, we sure it was a good idea to pull out of the sport. Yeah. I mean, 
they're pulling out of the sport because they said they haven't had the success that they hoped for. And, you know, it's a far cry from 2015 and Eddie Jordan going that, you know, I, I fear that they've completely misjudged the competitive of competitiveness of this sport. I, I think it's a far cry from that. But if you're Honda, are, are you thinking that, you know, here we are, we're about to go and, and be the first team other than Mercedes to win an a championship as a constructor, an engine constructor, and we're walking away. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking, well, you know, they're not really walking away. They're handing this over to Red Bull, and, and Red Bull is going to basically run a, a rebranded Honda engine. The truth of the matter is Red Bull's building an engine development facility, an actual research and engine development facility. Yes, Honda is providing some level of support, but Christian Horner's turned around and said, yeah, we're not sure we want to be a customer anymore. Mm-hmm. And if now Red Bull's saying that they're not sure that they want to be a customer anymore, that says to me that they're looking to build their own engines now. Yeah. And that's their plan. I got to wonder if, if Honda's regretting it. I, you never know because much like Fernando's career history, I haven't seen a whole lot of great thought on Honda since they re-entered the sport. Well, yeah, and uh, Honda's been known for short-sighted decisions in the past when it comes to Formula One. They they, they certainly have had an uneven level of result. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone was so excited when they came back with McLaren and, and you know, back in the, the, what was it, the 80s, it was, the, it was such a great car and it was so dominant. And, well, yeah, but how many years before that did they struggle? And when Honda was a constructor on their own, how many years did they struggle before they walked away and Ross Braun bought the team and won the championship and then sold it out to Mercedes for umpteen millions of dollars exactly so yeah but the other question i have Uh is do you remember these words from ron dennis i was wondering why you pulled that clip i honestly believe that the next world champions will be after mercedes will be mclaren I think we get, I think we get to that goal before other people. And now everyone's going, but they're not. That that that's not going to be the issue. But that was the Honda deal. That was the Honda deal. That was everybody going. Well, why are you bringing Honda in? Why are you signing up with Honda? What's the deal here? And then, you know, it it, it went to crap. Mm-hmm. And you got to wonder at this point if Ron Dennis is calling up Zach every other day and going, see, I told you you should have stuck it out. See, Honda would have delivered you a championship. See, I was right. Nothing pains. Okay, few things pain me more. <laughs> than Ron Dennis being right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Combine Ron Dennis being right with Red Bull being back on top, and now you got why I'm not happy. 
And that's fine. That's what I, I can live with that part. <laughs> you better, because you're kind of stuck with <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, well. But you're not walking away from Formula One just because Mercedes isn't winning. No, no, because like I said, Lewis doesn't isn't gonna be my guy. I've decided I've decided I'm going all in on Lando. Okay. Now I don't think Lando's ever gonna win a championship, but I think I'm gonna be a Lando fan. And if we go to a Formula One race, we're, I'm we're gonna, gonna stalk Lando. We're we're gonna bring we're gonna wear T-shirts with the Millennium Falcon on it. Is that? We're going to have to get custom-made t-shirts with Lando's face on Han's body. Or, or No, that's not right. Yeah, that's not right at all. <laughs> no. I was like, no, that doesn't work. No. But Lando's face. <laughs> well, it, it's wearing the, the suit, the Cloud City, made, that blue suit that he wore. Well, I'm thinking more of like I have it put on a t-shirt. I'm not wearing the suit. Well, no, but that would be, that would be, be the, Lando wearing, wearing the suit. suit. Yes. There you go. That that's where now I was you're going. With, now you're there. I, I my geeks collided and it didn't go well. It, it was bad. <laughs> they they, they all me. tried to come through the door at the same time. It was just, it there was, was a Mazaspin <laughs> involved. Oh. oh. So yeah. Anyway, Total Wolf says that the race, the title race, isn't over. Uh, yeah. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. Thank you. You know that that went so well for Lewis when he pointed that out last time. It's still a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's still going to pull out. So Red Bull won the race significantly. Well, Max won the race. Because mm-hmm. Sergio was still a little bit further back. And it was a good run between Valtteri and Sergio. Yes. Um, that was nice to see. That was good to hear. Um, there, there was an interesting point about Valtteri, especially... After the French Grand Prix and Valtteri complaining about his tires and he wasn't listened to on the strategy. And it was an interesting point that was made. I want to say it was by Julian Palmer that it's clear, at least to him, that Mercedes is using him as a true number two driver at this point Mm -hmm. this year, that they are using him to support Lewis and Lewis's potential, well, Lewis's attempt at a championship run and a constructor win, not from the perspective of trying to preserve Valtteri's chances to win the championship. Yes. And if Valtteri hasn't figured it out yet. Ah. Well, that's what it sounds like, is that yeah. he still thinks that he's got a chance here. And, you know, three races ago, four races ago, if he wanted to go that way, especially if he was close, sure. But he hasn't been. True. And even today, he was like, what, 40 seconds behind Lewis? Mm-hmm. And Lewis had a last-minute pit stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so. I just don't think anybody would be surprised if this is Valtteri's last year in Mercedes and they mm-hmm. they bumped up. Russell and frankly I think all Russell needs to do at this point is get a point in Formula One if he can get Williams a point oh yeah he he'll be the hero oh yeah I mean it'll be like Jules Bianchi over at Marussia mm-hmm. in, in uh, Monaco it's it's like he won a race because he got a point exactly but that's all it, all it required mm-hmm. so Max wins a race mm-hmm. where I was going with that and you saw he slowed down 
and, and came almost to a stop at the start-finish line and did that burnout. Right. Apparently, Michael Massey was not amused. Oh. The team received a warning for that. Do not do it again. Okay. So the concern that Michael had was that, um, A, it was a sudden and unexpected and unplanned stop on the start-finish straight while there were still folks who were, oh, racing. racing. for position. Uh-huh. You know, it probably would have, for folks who are going, well, you know, what about all the times that Seb used to do burnouts and stuff like that? And, and you know, Hamilton did burnouts at the end of the race at, last year when he won the title. And all. The big difference is all of that came after the cool-down lap. Mm-hmm. And Max didn't do that. No. So Mike, Michael said, yeah, um, don't do that. Don't do it again. So they've been warned. Okay. And in our last story. Yes. So and, and initially I was like, yeah, I don't believe this at all. And, and then Formula One actually confirmed it because the announcement didn't come from Formula One first. So it was announced this week that starting in 2023... The Russian Grand Prix will be held at the um, Igora Drive Circuit on the outskirts of St. Petersburg and will not be held in Sochi any longer. Interesting. Now, this is a purpose-built racing facility. Um, It achieved its uh, grade one license uh, last year, and it it first opened in 2019. So this is a brand new facility. Okay. Outside of St. Petersburg, Russia. Okay going to have to be in the very middle of the summer. That Well, that, I, I would assume that, that this is not going to be, be an issue of F1 it's, trying to invade Russia in the winter. <laughs> because that doesn't go well for anybody. Yeah. Um, no, I was just thinking that that was one of the advantages of Sochi was that it, it, it was a little bit more moderate in temperatures because it was further south. Even though it hosted the Winter Olympics and they had to truck in snow. That would be the part of somebody did not look at the map when they said Sochi should have the Winter Olympics. Well, no, actually, the reality was they're like, normally we have 18 inches of snow on the ground by now, and it didn't happen. Uh, yeah, anyway. So, anyway, don't invade Russia in winter. Purpose built track I, could be interesting. I mean, I know that there wasn't a great love affair for Sochi, so. Yeah, I mean, and and the thing with Sochi was that, you know, they built it, the, the whole gimmick, and that really was a gimmick for that track, but the whole gimmick was that it was built at the Olympic Park and it was built around the facilities that were used in the Olympics. The downside was that it was built at the Olympic Park around the buildings that were used for the Olympics. So that really limited their options around what they could do. And because it was only used that one time every year, we the, the pavement was always super smooth. You never had any real tire degradation. And, you know, it gave the opportunity for all the folks who go, we shouldn't have any pit stops. It sucks when people go in and do passes in, in the pits and we have these high deg tires and all that stuff that, gee, when we have super low degradation and nobody needs to go and change tires, it didn't make for better racing. <laughs> Sochi was proof of that. It didn't make for better racing. Nope. It does not. But that's again, 
You got to listen to what the fans actually want and not what they say they want. Okay, I'll go with that. You have to listen to subtext, and that is not something they've been particularly good at so far. Otherwise, we're Nobody st- in Formula One's good at subtext. That's the problem. We want hardcore racing. We want wheel-to-wheel action. We want passes on the track. We want safety. We, we want better racing. Well, and actually... It, it, and we you, want our guy to win. It, I was going to say, if you listen to what's going on on the other side of this table, <laughs> it's we want all of that, and we only want the person that we support to win. Screw everybody else. Well, yeah. That is called fanatical fandom. Yeah. So, and I want Ferrari to tell me what they did to their engines, that they were cheater, cheater, pumpkin eaters. And I want Red Bull to stop cheating. Because you know they're cheating. Everybody cheats to say. And, and they don't necessarily cheat. They, they cheat. They push the limits to the very extreme. Until they get caught cheating. There you go. Until they get caught. <laughs> it's not cheating if you don't get caught in Formula One. See, and that is the fundamental problem. Yeah. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.